Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel. I'll be halfway through verse 1 through verse 13. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I got got yelled at by a stranger uh, this past week. Super fun. Uh, It was on Facebook, you know, so it's fairly fairly impersonal. And listen, like, I am... I am almost never on Facebook. I never post anything of consequence on Facebook. And still, I got yelled at by, by a stranger. Uh, I was trying to give away something for free on Marketplace. Okay, So I had this uh, nasty old beat-up shed in the back of our, uh, back of our yard, uh, this horrible eyesore. And I just, like, ton of work, right? I didn't want to do it. And so uh, Patrick actually gave me the idea. He's like, you put it on Marketplace and see if some idiot will come pick it up for you. Uh, and so that's what I did. I put it on a Marketplace for free. Uh, come and haul it out of my yard, basically. Little did I know, like, this, this eyesore was a pretty hot item, okay? So I had, like, I had 15 people uh, contact me in, like, two days, and one guy in particular wanted, wanted to punch me in the face over it. Um, and, and so, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. So, like, I, you know, I gave it to the first person that I thought would actually show up and do the work. I mean, it seems pretty reasonable, but this guy, like, he kind of lost his mind. He thought for sure that I had promised it to him, which I, I didn't, that he was somehow there first. And so he, you know, yelled at me with his, with his fingers, you know, how, how we do these days, right? Just was so mad and, uh, you know, said I had no integrity. He's going to report me to Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he, I, I'd actually, I would read it to you, uh, except that he deleted it afterwards, which makes me assume that it was probably one of you, and then you realized, you realized it was me and kind of felt bad. That's my, that's my assumption. Let's, let's hope not. Let's, please, dear God, let's not, let's not be true. Um, but it was, it, was, it was ridiculous, right? He was so mad, and my initial response was not unlike David's in this story. Like, strap on your sword, right? You want a piece of me, right? 
Because this is, this is sort of how we roll, people, isn't it? We have become a society of hot-tempered fools. Rash, harsh, mad about everything, and ridiculous. We find everything offensive. I mean, we almost like go out of our way to be offended. And then we believe that every offense demands a response. The louder and more contemptuous, the better. And I can, I can be just as guilty in this, certainly. And the Bible, the Bible has a word for this. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about this guy on Facebook, okay? I don't know, I don't know anything about him. Um, this is not like my, my way of retaliating is to preach a sermon about this guy. So leave him behind, okay? I don't, know, I don't know anything about him, okay? But the Bible, the Bible has a word for people who always turn it up to 11, who can't be reasoned with, who go around looking for a fight or, frankly, just like trying to be offended. The Bible calls them fools. And you don't want to be one. You don't want to be married to one. You don't want to work for one. You don't want to hang out with one. And we often don't know how to respond to the fools in our lives. But Abigail shows us. You see, Abigail is married to a man so foolish that his name is Nabal, which literally means fool, okay? So, like, when you see that name, if you understood the original language, like, you would know, like, something's going down here, right? Like, his name is fool. And, and, and so she, Abigail, she's stuck between her fool of a husband and a man so offended, he's ready to kill Nabal and every man in Nabal's house. It's pretty fun, right? Now, now we, might, we, not, we might not be there as a culture. Not yet. But the rage and foolishness that plague these two men is all around us. And if we're honest, it's often within us, right? Me too. And so how do we bring peace in a world of hot-tempered, easily offended foolishness? How do we do it? We'll turn to 1 Samuel 25, if you haven't already. Samuel is a tricky one to find. You can go to the table of contents, or if you're on your, on your phone, the Bible app, it's, it's a little easier there as well. But we, we need Abigail's story. And her story is, is one that's largely been forgotten. Until, until this week, I'd never really given it much, much thought. And if you're, if you're new today, we're kind of in the middle of this, this series this summer, kind of an unusual series, where we're looking at some of the more forgotten family members, people who are part of our, our family of faith, Old and New Testament, who we've either forgotten or ignored or never even heard of, right? People that we've overlooked, but it's stories that we still need today. And if you look at the first section, so it's a long story, right? We only read the first few verses. I'm going to try to summarize most of it for us as, as we go. Uh, but the narrator in those first couple of verses begins by introducing us to the men in Abigail's life. First, we have David. Now, David, you might have heard of, right? He's, he's the anointed one. He's the future king of Israel. Uh, he's not king yet in this story. Saul is. 
Uh, and David, he becomes king around age 30. And so this is probably, he's somewhere in his mid to late 20s, okay? And he's running from King Saul. He's essentially living with his buddies in a van down by the river, okay? He, living off the lamb, just trying to survive in, in hiding, right? Uh, but before you discount them, you know, these runaways, these misfits, there's about 600 of them. Okay, so we've got, we've got a small army here. It's nothing, nothing to mess with. So that's, that's who we meet first, is David. Then we meet Nabal, or fool, or possibly drunkard. I mean, there's a couple ways it can be translated, but none of them are good, right? And we instantly, we instantly know with a name like that, there's going to be There's going to be trouble. Look, even verse 3, again, how this, the narrator sets this up. I love this. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, fool, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. It's just, it's just a nasty person is what, what it says. A few verses down then, a servant also describes him. Verse 17, this is how, what a servant says about him. He says, he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. I mean, if you want a definition of a fool, right, that's, that's it, right? You can't reason with a fool. They don't listen, they react. His wife, go down a few verses further, in verse 25, his wife describes him like this. This worthless fellow, so same language there, worthless, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name is and folly is with him. Basically, she's saying, if there's anything my husband is good at, it's living up to his name, right? Fool. Abigail, on the other hand, is discerning and beautiful. So those are the three characters in our story, right? Again, you're already kind of able to guess, like, this is going to, okay, something's going to happen here, right? And so what happens is David, David discovers that some of the men that he's been sort of hanging out with in the wilderness, uh, they're not his men, they're Nabal's men. They belong to that household, but they've been kind of working together. David's taking care of them. So he's kind of, he's kind of helped Nabal out un, unintentionally, like Nabal doesn't know that. Uh, but then he finds out, David does, that Nabal is rich. So a fool with money, right? It's another layer here. It's really good. Um, Full of money. And, and so David figures, okay, I've been helping this guy out. It, it's, uh, it's feast time, so the, the sheep shearing and all of that indicates there's probably going to be a celebration, a big meal. And David is just like, I bet, I bet we can get a good dinner out of it, right? He's been living in a van, right? He want, like, this is an opportunity, and it makes sense. Like, in a hospitality culture, David's assumption here is, is very reasonable. It's like, I've been helping Nabal. He's going to give us some food to eat. And so David sends men to Nabal, greets him respectfully. Look at verse 6. His men say to Nabal, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Peace, right? Peace. And then they humbly ask for food. And David at this point, I mean, again, like he's not king yet, but David has a reputation at this point. Like, people know David. They've heard of David. Like, they know that he's the anointed one, this, this future king, that he's worthy of some respect. But Nabal responds with utter contempt. Never heard of him. Which is, which is ridiculous, right? Of course he had. In fact, he, he refers to David as the son of Jesse. Like, the servants didn't call him that. So Nabal, Nabal knows who he is, right? 
He just doesn't care. Which again, I'm thinking at this point, that's, that's great, Nabal. Take off the guy who killed Goliath. Like, that's what you want to do, right? This guy's really bright, isn't he? It reminds me of Proverbs 18.6. There's a few Proverbs I'm going to read for us along the way here because the Proverbs talks about the way of the fool a lot. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Yep. David has an army, and he's not afraid to use it. Kind of reminds me of that old Johnny Cash song. We've been listening to a lot of Johnny Cash in my house, so you might hear you might hear a lot of quotes from him. But it reminds me of the old old one, like "Don't don't take your guns to town, son. Like, leave your army at home, David, because it's gonna get ugly. Because the future king has been mocked. I mean, this is David, like David, David, right? And, and so, I mean, it's, this, is a, this is a massive offense, especially in an honor culture, a hospitality culture. And so we read then David's response, to slap on a sword, I'm going to kill all the men. Like we read that and we're, we're horrified by it, right? And listen, it is over the top, right? And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second. But in an honor culture, David's response is actually pretty close to what you'd expect, like, Nabal knows that he's picking a fight, and David is going to run into it. It's like, uh, so culturally, it's weird for us, but it's like when you're watching Hamilton, right, and everybody's dueling about it. Like, why would you do that? Like, who does that? Like, that was a normal response for them. It's not, not justifying it, but it was, it was an acceptable way to respond to offense culturally. Still over the top, right, what David is, is vowing to do. He's vowing to kill every male in Nabal's house. It's over the top, but it's not surprising. And so, again, you've got Nabal the fool and David the rash, easily offended, impulsively violent. And you kind of want both of them to lose, don't you? The men in Abigail's life. It's not great, people. And if I, if I were her in this spot, like, I'd get out of Dodge. Like, I'd just run. Like, you don't want to be around for what's about to happen, but she doesn't. This is what's so amazing in this story. She doesn't hide. She doesn't run from the conflict. If anything, she runs toward it. Which leads to the first lesson, if you want to be a peacemaker. Don't you want to be a peacemaker? I mean, don't, I mean, don't you? I mean, look at our world. Fools we have plenty. The easily offended and quick to retaliate, we have enough. But peacemakers? I mean, Jesus, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Like, that's, that's who I want to be, church. And I don't, I don't want to be another Nabal in the way I respond. I, in this story, I don't want to be like David, right? I want to be like Abigail. And so as we look at her response to these men, we see five lessons on peacemaking. I know that's a lot, so hang on. Um, but five, five really important lessons. And this first one really amazes me. Now, all of these have some uniqueness in, in the culture here in which she's found. But this first one, like Abigail takes courageous action. That's the, that's the first thing, okay? If you're taking notes, peacemakers take courageous action, which I think sometimes we assume the opposite, don't we? We assume that if we're going to keep the peace, i got to be quiet. I'm just going to take it, right? I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to challenge anybody. Just keep my opinions to myself, but not, not 
Abigail. When she hears what went down, look at verse 18. So then Abigail made haste. So everything that she's doing is she's in a hurry, right? Because she knows the urgency of what's around her. She made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sails of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her. And she met him. Met them. Do you see what she's risking in this moment? Like as a woman in that culture, right, she, she had no authority in her household. And we, we, we all at this point know better than to trust Nabal to do what's reasonable, Right? And so she acts behind his back. It's unbelievably risky. And she rides up to this young, impetuous, soon-to-be king and his angry army. But peace is worth it. It's worth risking for. It's worth doing something hard for. And as you look at the, the, the conflicts surrounding you, Maybe the challenges that you face at work or in your own household. Where do you need to take a little risk? For peace. Where do you need to act, speak up, have courage? That's, that's the first thing. Peacemakers act, take courageous action. But it's, it's not just any action with, with Abigail, right? Because you can take courageous action and make everything worse, right? We, we know that. We've seen that. We've done that, right? We, we don't want that. But Abigail here is a master of de-escalation. Because second, peacemakers practice humble discernment. You can't miss that with, with Abigail. Practice humble discernment. Because she could have made it worse, right? I mean, for example, she could have gone to her husband, like, in that, like, that would have made things worse. But she knows that he's a fool. You can't, here's the deal, you can't help a fool. She understands Proverbs 29, verse 9. Here's another one. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. It's like, you know, sometimes just, why bother? Don't waste your breath. But she knows that if there's anyone she can influence, it's David. She goes to him, verse, verse 23. Listen, listen to what she says. She says, when Abigail saw David, she hurried again and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of the Lord whom you sent, of my Lord whom you sent. Do you see her? I mean, her humility there? I mean, she falls on her face. She refers to herself as David's servant, and she apologizes on behalf of her husband. I mean, she basically says to him, like, hey, you know, it's my fault for letting you meet him, right? I should have gotten to the door first. I'm sorry about that. Like, she, she owns that, even though clearly Nabal is the scoundrel in this story, but she, she owns it with humility. 
It makes me wonder how many times Kelly has apologized on my behalf. I hope not a lot. Peacemaking. You can see it, you can see it there, right? The, the way she responds. Notice, notice her gentleness, her humility, her respect in this moment. To diffuse an explosive situation. Proverbs 15.1 is one of my favorites. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Just imagine if we followed that one proverb in our lives. Because that's what she does. And she diffuses this explosive situation. Peacemaking is, is hard, but how many times when we're offended... How many times do we respond with a gentle answer? With humility and discernment. Try it next time. That's what peacemakers do. So that's the second thing. Okay, so she takes action, right? She's, she's wise, she's humble. But then you got to go back to the fact that like David here... I mean, as terrible as it is, again, I'm not justifying his behavior, but what he's doing is normal in that culture. For, for a man of his stature and authority to receive a slight like this, again, it's, it's, a, it's a bit over the top, and we, I mean, we were, rightly, we revile against it, and yet what he's doing was acceptable. It would have been, he would have been patted on the back for being a manly man to take, you know, kick butt for the people that, that offended him, Right? But this leads to the third thing. The third thing, peacemakers reject cultural expectations of right and wrong. You, you, can't, you can't miss that here, right? She rejects what everyone else around her would say is right and wrong and says to David, no, you can't do this. Like, this isn't right. So, so there's a couple places where, where she kind of just throws the cultural expectations out the window. Two, two places in particular. One is, again, David is sort of like within his rights, Okay? He would have been patted on the back for this kind of behavior. And yet four times throughout the story, it says Abigail essentially rescues David from blood guilt or wrongdoing. Over and over again, she says basically, David, when you're king, you're going to be king. When you're king, you don't want this hanging over your head. You don't, you don't want all this blood and violence and guilt over something so stupid to be on your head. Like she's saying, like, this is, it might look right to the people around you. But this is not how God's king, God's anointed, this is not how God's people should act. And that is more important than cultural expectations of right and wrong. Church, listen, I feel like we've got the same problem, okay? We may not, we may not be bringing our armies to war, strapping on our swords, okay? We, we may not be fighting duels in the streets, right? But man... The way we handle conflict in our culture is terrible. And we have a, we have a clear code of conduct, don't we? A, a clear expectation of, of right or wrong. When someone offends you or disagrees with you, there are things that you have permission culturally to do. And if you don't believe me, just watch a political talk show, right? Go, go to the comments section on the internet anywhere. Uh, just be on social media for like 30 seconds, right? We, we see this and we have to ask, like, is it really okay to talk to people like that? Just because we see it everywhere, just because it's so normalized. Is it really okay? Is it okay to demonize and stereotype people who disagree with us? 
to jump to ridiculous conclusions when people use certain buzzwords or ideas that, that offend us, to attack back or just type out horrible things for the whole world to see. And if someone really offends you, you can just cancel them, right? Like just, you can just write them off entirely. Our culture affirms this behavior, and we're good at it. But not us, church. Not God's people. Not peacemakers, right? God defines what is right and wrong for us. Not our culture. And we respond with love, or we don't respond at all. And there's one other, there's one other thing in this story that just completely throws cultural expectations out the window. Some of you probably picked up on it. It's that, that Abigail is a woman here. And she is working behind her husband's back. And David, the soon-to-be king, obeys her. I mean, this is, this is shocking in that culture. I mean, it truly is. So, like, verse, verse 35, this is how David responds to her. He says, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice. And I have granted your petition. This is radical in that culture. Sadly, it's still all too rare in ours. Men, when is the last time you've obeyed the voice of the women in your life? You might try it sometime. I think many of us would be better off if we did occasionally, right? And women, thanks for being so patient with us. Thanks for speaking up courageously, gently. We need you. I'm sorry we've not done better. And let me just say as well, if you're married to a navel, <laughs> thanks, Dan, I appreciate that. But seriously, like if you're, le- if you're married to a fool who's leading you towards sin and destruction, let's, let's talk soon. Email me, email one of the women on our staff. All of our contact information is on our website. Like, we, we want to help you navigate that really, really difficult space um, as best we can. And so we see it here with Abigail. We see it in multiple ways, right? Peacemakers reject cultural expectations of right or wrong because God is our standard. God is our judge, which is the fourth, the fourth lesson we see here. comes out several times. Peacemakers also let God be the judge instead of us. Because what, what Nabal does here is wrong. It's really wrong. Like, David has a right to be offended. And it's not that Nabal just gets a free pass. Like, oh, just don't do anything and just sweep, sweep it under the rug. And, you know, it's not, that's not it at all. Peacemakers don't accept wrongdoing, abuse, injustice. Like, there is real evil in our world that demands a response. But they let God take care of it instead of them. Because God is the righteous judge. And I know, I know we, don't, we don't really like the idea of a God who judges evil. It makes us uncomfortable. Like, well, how could he do that? It seems so mean, right? But, like, if, you, if you've been, like, subjected to real evil, like, I mean, think, think about the person who grew up in sex trafficking, right, as a, as a slave, right? Or, or, or somebody whose entire family has been killed because of their religious beliefs or because of their ethnicity. Like, and you, you watched all that, like, what, what is their option in this if God does not judge? 
Like, if you've suffered at the hands of evil people, because they do exist, right? And evil is within all of us. I'm not minimizing that. But if you've, if you've truly been abused, like what is the option? I think there's two, right? If, if God is not the judge. One is you just, well, you shrug your shoulders and the victimizer's going to pass. It's like, well, oh well. Like, that's not, you can't do that, right? That's not right. Or, or two, we have to take matters into our own hands. We have to retaliate. We have to cast vengeance upon people. Neither of those options lead to peace. None of that leads to flourishing. Only a God who judges, who promises to take care of evil, leads to peace. And this is a key part of Abigail's speech. Again, it comes out a couple spots. So let me read. Let me read at, at verse 29. She says, David, she's talking to him still. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. I know it's a, it's a mouthful, right? Um, but essentially, she's saying, David, you don't, you don't have to save yourself. You don't, have, you don't have to defend yourself. Like, the Lord is your defense. God is your salvation. Yahweh is judge. And Nabal will get what's coming to him. You know, another Johnny Cash song. Sooner or later, God will cut you down, Right? going to happen and actually at the end of the story it does happen and Nabal Nabal he's no longer with us at the end of this story right but David didn't have to incur the guilt of retaliation he didn't have to have the shame of taking matters into his own hands because God can take care of it and God is the righteous judge he's the only judge that never makes a mistake and we can entrust all of it to him and therefore there can be peace which leads to the last thing just peacemakers, let God be the judge. But here's, here's the last thing. Finally, ultimately, peacemakers recognize God's anointed. That's a mouthful. Peacemakers recognize God's anointed. What do I mean by that? Well, part of Abigail's wisdom here is that she recognizes David. Like, she, she knows who he is, Right? That he is the one God has chosen to be king. In fact, she, she even predicts, like prior to the promises in 2 Samuel, she predicts that, that David's kingdom is more than just any earthly kingdom. That his house is a sure house. And the way that that prediction is fulfilled is that from another, that another king would come from David's line eventually. That David's, David's house would produce another king, a future son of David, whose kingdom would know no end, the anointed one. And unlike David, this king would do no wrong, ever. And he would be like Abigail. But he'd be the ultimate peacemaker. Because this, this king would end up taking all of the blame on himself. 
He would allow all of the blood guilt, all of the shame, all of the brokenness to be hurled at him to save us from our own violence, our own sin, our own foolishness and pride, to rescue us through his own death. He would offer us peace with God. And if you're with him, this king, Jesus, if you're with him, you can take courageous action in the pursuit of peace because you know that you are safe. And if, if you're with him, with this king, King Jesus, you can, you can practice humble discernment because you know that you're secure in his love. So, so you can be, be humble in those spaces. You can be humiliated in those spaces because you know that you are secure in his love. And if you're with him, with this king, then you can, you can reject cultural expectations of right or, right or wrong because you know that he knows better. And if you're with him, this king, you can let him be the judge because you know that you are forgiven, that he is your defense, and that he will make it right. Recognizing him for who he, for who he is, the anointed one, Jesus, our peace, the one who said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And he invites us to his table of peace. That we get to remind ourselves of these things once more as we take communion together. That we have peace with God at this table, but we also have peace with one another through his blood on our behalf. That unlike Nabal, right, who's stingy, Jesus is rich in mercy, offering us a chance to feast even on his body and blood. Before we, before we come, though, to the table, I hear that uh, familiar crinkling. Before we do that, though, why don't we take just a moment um, to quiet our hearts um, and maybe, maybe do... Maybe do Three things in this space. Maybe these don't all connect with you, but uh, these are the three that I thought of. Maybe take a moment before we come to communion to confess where you've been a little bit like Nabal or a little bit like David. Confess to God. Maybe, maybe take a moment as well to ask him how you can bring his peace, where in your life you can be a peacemaker. And then third, thank him for the peace that he has given. Let's take a moment to do that quietly together. Lord Jesus, because of your life, death, and resurrection, we can have peace with God. We who have been the ultimate enemies, who have given the ultimate offense against a holy God because of our rejection and our rebellion, that you welcome, welcome us in, that you have made peace for us. And so God, I pray that we as your people would love peace. And that from the peace that you have, you have created for us through your son, that we would share that peace in every place we go, with everyone, in every situation, no matter how frustrated or offended or hurt we may get. God, may we, your people, be known for peace. Do that work in us, we pray, Holy Spirit.